You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Title of my message is Sparks: How to Fight with the People You Love. We've done a lot of fighting as a church the past year against enemies foreign and domestic, against viruses, against tyrannical governments telling us we can't sing and all this stuff. Sometimes you fight against enemies, but sometimes you fight against the people you love. And so I want to navigate, or teach rather, how we navigate that well. How do we fight well with the people that we love? We're going to look at sparks in friendship, sparks in church, and sparks in marriage. We're going to look at one Bible verse. You all know it by heart, guaranteed. And that's going to be it. So Proverbs 27, 17 is going to be behind me. And it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Other translations say, so one man sharpens another. But if you look at that Hebrew word, the better translation is friend or neighbor. There's a closeness to that word. So uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, you should want to be sharp. Agreed? Because the opposite is to be dull. Who wants to be dull? Not me. I would love to be sharp. To be sharp as a piece of metal means you are effective, means you are useful. No one wants to be dull. We don't want you to be dull. We want you to be sharp. So this verse tells us that friction and sparks are a prerequisite to deep, meaningful friendship. If you want to have deep friendships, you should expect sparks and friction. Now, there's a difference between a friend and a buddy. In English, we throw the word, I don't know if it's like, I think it's a newer thing. I don't remember hearing this a lot when I was younger, but we say buddy all the time now. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, my buddy who lives in Phoenix. Oh yeah, I got to introduce you to my buddy who, my buddy this, my buddy that, my buddy. And everybody has 50 million buddies, okay? But you don't have 50 million friends. You have 50 million buddies. If you're from Australia, you say, you know, my mate this, my mate that. And it's a difference between a mate and a friend. In Spanish, you know, you just, you throw around amigo. Like I would say, Rudy Batis, no es solo mi amigo. Es mi compadre. Mi carnal. Sangre de mi sangre. Just kidding. That was a little too far, I think, probably. But there's a difference between an amigo and a carnal. Between a buddy and a friend. You all have 50 million. We all have buddies. Buddies everywhere. Buddies, 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 buddies. But you don't have a lot of friends. It's actually impossible to have as many friends as you have buddies. You really can't have 50,000 close, close friends. So my question for you, a little tough love here is, how many friends do you have? And you may have lots and lots of conocidos, lots of acquaintances, lots of buddies, but how many friends do you have? And the litmus test is to ask yourself, when was the last time that someone sharpened me? When was the last time that I sharpened someone? And I want to give you a couple of so how do, you, how do you do this better? Maybe you'd say, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of that. I'd love more of it. Let me give you a couple of pointers. The first one is you have to give license 
to be sharpened, okay? I have a very dear friend. He's not a, an amigo. He's my carnal, mi compadre. Marco Contreras is one of my dear friends, one of my best friends in the world. And I um, deeply respect a conversation I had with Marco months and months and months and months and months ago. He came up to me and said, hey, I just want you to know. And this was before we were the, the pastors. So it's not like a shepherd sheep thing. And Marco's not a sheep, okay? If you heard me say that, you might be offended. He's a lion, okay? Not a sheep. It's not a shepherd pastor thing. It's a friend thing. It was before we were the pastors. And he said, I just want you to know that at any time I give you complete permission to call out anything in me that you see that may be off. I give you permission to point out my blind spots. And I said the same thing. I reciprocated. I said, yeah, absolutely, man, me too. And we have held true to that. And Marco and I are great friends. And we've had moments of sparks and friction and frustration. And there was a, a time where um, it was after service. We we're all kind of hanging out talking. And my daughter, Everly, she's two. She was running around and was leaning back on one of the chairs. And she fell backwards and, you know, plopped on the carpet. And, you know, it was mass hysteria. I started screaming. And so I scooped her up. And she was crying on my shoulder. And I, and I said, oh, my gosh. Because my, my daughter broke her leg when she was um, one. She's um, busted her head open on our screen door thing. And I said, oh, man, she's just so accident prone. And the next day... I got a phone call from Marco and he said, Hey man, I just, I've been sitting on this all day um, and was going to say something in a moment, but I just didn't. And I just, I wanted to just maybe point out that you, you spoke over your daughter that she's accident prone. And I just think maybe it'd be a better idea to speak things that are life giving over her. And he called me out. And I want you to know that I deeply appreciated that because I didn't even think about it. I didn't even notice. And so now I'm much more careful with the way that I speak about my daughter, that she's like Wolverine. She's got adamantium bones now in Jesus' name, that she's invincible in the name of Jesus, a very feminine, dainty Wolverine, okay, clearly. And so I'm thankful for friends like Marco who will call out my blind spots. That's what friendship is. And there's a risk. I could have, Marco could have said, hey, and I could have said, how dare you talk to me about how I talk to my child? You can talk to your daughter any way you, you know what I mean? There was a risk. Marco took a chance, but in love, it was worth it to him to see some sparks, to have some friction, to point out one of my blind spots. That's what friendship looks like. You also have to be a friend to have friends. That's a word for somebody, okay? And I'm sorry, don't be mad at me. It's actually a proverb. You have to be a friend to have friends. And so if you find yourself, you know, grumpy, wumpy, no one invites me anywhere at this church, and, but then you show up 15 minutes late, you sit in the back with your arms crossed, you leave before service is over, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You have to be a friend to have friends. And you also, this is important, I want you to hear, hear me on this one. You also must be a safe landing spot for correction. If somebody, if Marco, in the exact example I gave, if Marco would have come to me and I would have freaked out like that, well then the next time Marco sees one of my blind spots, what do you think he's gonna do? It's just gonna be like, yeah, I'm just gonna, just let that one lie, Right? <laughs> And so if anytime somebody comes to you with something and your immediate, and listen, it's, I'm not naive. It's, it's human nature that our very first instinct, almost all of us, is to be defensive. But you have to learn to master your emotions. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. You can be defensive for a moment, but then realize, hey, this is for my good. And this person doesn't need 
all the details, all the backstory, every single rational, God, the Holy Spirit has illuminated something to them to share with you. So you should listen. Okay. Are you a safe landing spot for correction? If somebody comes to you with a blind spot they see, will it be met with understanding and wow and gratitude? Thank you so much, man. I, I had no idea. I never saw that before. Or is it met with, oh, that's it. How, you know what I mean? Be a safe landing spot for correction. Sparks in friendship, part of it. Now, point number two, sparks at church. Sparks at church. Now, for a lot of us, I mean, you, you all obviously go to church, you're here, and uh, a lot of us are friends. So, that, you know, point one and two for a lot of us can kind of overlap. But I want to talk specifically about um, something that happens at church frequently. Now, now in Acts, so when Katie and I took over the campus, when we found out we were going to take over, I decided it would be wise to do some market research. And so I read the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. And I thought, well, this would be a good tool to understand how this thing's supposed to look. And I noticed something very um, interesting that really um, grabbed onto me. And it was all throughout the book of Acts, it says over and over and over again of the early church that they were of constant encouragement to one another and they were of one accord. Now, we don't, we don't really say that in kind of modern English very often, but to be of one accord, for all of you Spanish speakers, it's the same Latin root word that you get, corazón, which means heart. To be of one accord means to be of one heart. It's also the same Latin root word that you get chord, like on a piano, in music. And a chord is when multiple notes are played together in harmony to make something more beautiful than they can be on their own. And when a chord, when a, a note is out of tune in that chord, there's dissonance. There's an absence of harmony. And harmony should be the normal for the church. But you will find things, for all of you music people, that will pull you sharp or pull you flat. Things that will rub you the wrong way, want to push you out of tune. And I'm just telling you, this is truth here, okay? If you come to this church for any length of time and you plant yourself here, you will get offended at some point. I promise you that. You may be offended right now. I have been offended many times, probably by some of you at this church. I've been here for eight years. I have been offended many times. It's a part of doing life with people at church. It's part of it. But I, what you need to know is that your offense, God works all things together for good. Your offense, God will speak to you through your offense. An offense actually should illuminate to you that there are people in your world that see things differently than you, than you, that act differently than you, that are not the same as you, and that should actually be a great thing. If you went to a church where every single thing that was ever said by anybody to you on a Sunday, in your connect group, whatever, you were in perfect agreement with, then the only logical explanation for that would be that you all have it perfectly figured out and perfectly together. And there is no other sign that you don't have it all together than to think that you have it all together, okay? We don't have it all together. So when you are actually rubbed the wrong way in church, it's a good thing. And if you let it, or let him rather, God will use that. And some offenses are justified. You are right to be offended. Someone 
offended you and they did something wrong and it was offensive and that's fine. There's also other offenses where somebody does something, says something, doesn't say something, doesn't do something. And because of your hurts, your filters, your whatever, you get all bent out of shape and maybe, you know, because you have perceived something incorrectly. So there's, there's offenses that are justified and offenses that are not. But either way, if you allow him, God will speak to you through that offense. So to offend actually literally means to strike. It means that you have gotten, someone has gotten through your defenses and actually landed a strike, okay? So it means that, and, and it will show you what you actually care about, what's important to you. And, and that can be bad. Maybe you've over, maybe you've placed an importance on something that shouldn't be as important. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, through all the shutdowns and the whatevers, you would not believe the amount of Instagram hate that Katie and I have received. Direct messages on direct messages, saying all kinds of awful things. My favorite one was I got a direct message that said, F you and your death church, you plague rat. (laughs) He called me a plague rat. Now, I was not offended because it didn't strike me. I don't care. Number one, I, I know I'm not a plague rat. Number two, I don't care what random people on Instagram think about me or what I'm doing. So it doesn't, that didn't actually strike me. But I had a situation just a few weeks ago with someone at church, they're not at this campus, so don't try to speculate, and da 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 where um, because of a situation we were in together, um, my integrity was questioned on something, and that deeply offended me because I care about the reputation of my integrity, my reputation. So it actually, the offense illuminated to me what I care about, what matters to me. And so in that situation, it made me want to go and find reconciliation in this particular situation. So your offense will teach you things. So I'm gonna give you a tangible example here. And uh, pastors Drew and Emma aren't here, so they don't get to defend themselves. So if you're newer here, so Katie and I took over as the campus pastors. Um, at the beginning of 2020, pastors Drew and Emma that planted this campus, um, planted a church up in Seattle called Hope Village Church, doing amazing. Um, and um, so Katie and I were Pastor Drew and Emma's kind of right-hand armor bearers for five years of, of this campus. And um, they would offend me all the time. I told you, you'll get offended at this church. It just happens. I would get offended all the time. And the, one of the big ones was Pastor Drew would just ask me with zero warning to do these really big things. Like, hey, can you run, you know, the Holy Spirit DNA night tonight? I'm like, it's, it's tonight. Like, you mean the one in, happening in a few hours? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah you'll, you'll be good. And I would just be like, don't you... I have, a, I have a job, I have a wife, I have a, a kids, I can't just, and then, you know, it would be like, hey, can you preach this Sunday? Like, Drew, it's Saturday. So like, yeah, 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 you, you'll be good, you'll be good. And I would just get, I would get offended. Like, how, how can you not consider and maybe think? But then I asked myself, and this is the important part, when you find yourself offended, ask yourself, what is it in me that is leading to this offense? And again, the offense can be justified, Still, you should ask yourself, what is it in me that is causing this offense to rise up? And what it led me to was the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, so 
what do you want then? Do you only want Drew and Emma to ask you to do things when it's perfectly convenient for you? And what I realized was that whether, whether they were doing it tactically or not, it was actually producing in me a man that was able to live outside of his capacity to lean into the Lord, to not do things in my own strength. And so this, you know, offense that would get me out. And so now I embrace these situations where I'm put on the spot and have to jump out and do something without a lot of time to, because it, it's producing in me someone who leans on the Holy Spirit. And so this offense actually God used it to illuminate something in my heart and my life. So offend, Jesus said offenses must come. They must come. They will come. You will find yourself offended, and it's not a bad thing. There will be sparks at church in Jesus' name, and it's good for us. Somebody say amen. 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 Lastly, as we land the plane here, sparks in marriage. For all of you married folks out there, sparks in marriage. Now, you should trust, uh, Katie and I are authorities on this subject because we fight a lot, okay? You know, Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, 10,000 Hours, we've probably fought for 10,000 hours, okay? Now, and I know Katie and I have done um, premarital counseling for couples many, many times. I know Pastor Stephen and Pastor Gina do as well. There is no, well, there are a, an incredibly huge red flag, is when couples say, you know, we just, we just don't really fight. We just really just get along and just, that's, because what that means is there's no closeness. Friction is a product of two things being pushed together. The greater the closeness, the greater the friction. That's just physics, okay? And so the more your fighting in your marriage is actually directly correlated to the amount of closeness in your marriage, to the friction in your marriage. Now, I need to make an important distinction. There is a huge difference between fighting against your spouse and fighting with your spouse. Fighting against your spouse is squared up, looking at each other, you are my opponent and I am yours. Fighting with your spouse I was trying to think of an illustration. It's kind of like the best thing I can think of is like, it's like you're Siamese twins and you're just like attached at the hip and you're both trying to go that way. But then, you know, you walk too fast and she's like, stop. And you're like, what? Come on, let's go. And then she tries to pull you this way. You fight going the same direction and you disagree on how to get there, but you're going the same way. That's fighting with your spouse, not fighting against your spouse. And it is a really good thing. It's a good thing to fight with your spouse because it implies deep closeness and deep um, uh, intimacy. So I'm gonna give you like just a handful of just kind of lessons learned. And a lot of you have been married a lot longer than me. I've been married 10 years. So, um, but I wanna, and I don't, I don't expect you to take, you know, all five or six of these down and implement them. I want you to just listen for one. And what I really prayed um, before I got up here was that God would illuminate just one of these to you. Now, another, if I see any of this, I will call you out, okay? And then I'll make you come stand up here with me for the rest of the message, okay? This is not about you saying, honey, you better be taking notes here. This is about self-reflection for you as a spouse, okay? So how to fight well in marriage, number one. And I love this because Katie doesn't have a microphone, so she can't defend herself at all. You'll have your day when you can. But for now, the power is in my hands. 
So how to fight well in marriage. Number one, do it at an appropriate time. So in early on in our marriage, it would be like, 11.30 at night after the longest day, I'm exhausted, barely had the strength to get through a shower, roll into bed, lights off, love you, babe, good night. And then, babe. Yeah. I just, I just don't feel like you appreciate all that I've been doing around the house. And it's just, it's a lose-lose. Like there's just, Nothing is going to happen. We're both exhausted. It's the end of a really, really long day. And so we have learned to have, I'm like, I know you felt this way at 3 p.m. We could have, that would have been a great time to do it, right? So whether you're a husband, wife, whatever, don't have these kinds of conversations at 1130 at night. Now, I will say, let me get on to the fellas. If you don't make space in your day for your wife to have these kinds of conversations, then all she's got is 1130 at night. So that's on you, okay? We need to make space to have these kinds of conversations. And, and I, I, I'd say a, a, a skill that, just to be honest, full disclosure, Katie and I are really just developing in our marriage. And we've been married 10 years. I'd say really in the last year is learning to um, discern which arguments, fights, issues are like absolute impasse, like this has to be dealt with right now, and which ones can just happen when we're a little more rested and when we've got some time, and discerning those. There are some things that are important to deal with in the moment, right then, but then there's other things that's like, let's do this over breakfast when we're well-fed, well-rested, right? If you have small children, you're never well-rested, but at least the morning, you got a little bit of sleep, maybe. So, um, and, and Katie has, has really become very masterful at this. And, I, and to honor her, she's, she, she'll say things like, hey, um, I've just been feeling a little overwhelmed lately with everything going on that it takes to run our house and run our kids and, and all that, plus everything going on at the church. And I know that you're working incredibly hard, um, you know, taking territory, and that's amazing. But I would love some time this week to get together and strategize how we can share the load a little better. And how much better is that than you never take out the garbage, you big slob, da 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 da, da right? And so for me, it gives me the, the it, it kind of sparks the light bulb in me, like, okay, this is something that is a, a serious issue to my wife. We don't have to talk about it right now. The whole world doesn't have to stop so we can talk about who takes out the garbage, but it puts it on my radar so that we can have that conversation in a very healthy, um, respectful way. So fight at an appropriate time. Now, again, I have the microphone. Old Katie, I will honor, I will honor my beautiful wife, but old Katie is a different person. We can, can dishonor her. The Bible says you are a new creation in Jesus' name. Come on. Old Katie, when Katie gets really mad, she cleans. Which, I mean, that's not the worst thing, you know. So the house gets a little dirty. I'm just like, all right, what could I say here? No, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. But she, old Katie would just clean out of spite and just stare at me like this. And I'm a dude, so I don't notice anything. And I'm like, and she's just, and then we would fall asleep. And listen, Pastor Leanne says something that I love. She says, you know what? Every woman, every woman is at least 10% crazy. But every man is at least 10% jerk. 
and never a truer statement has been uttered by the lips of man. So Katie would clean, angry. And then I just am oblivious. I'm such a jerk. And I would just like, all right, good night, love you. Go to sleep. Then she would just stare at me while I slept. Because we're men. We can compartmentalize. Katie could say to me, we've lost everything. Our life is in ruin. And I would be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go to bed. We'll deal with it in the morning. And I would sleep like a baby. Okay. I mean, maybe all women. I don't know. I really just know my wife really well. My wife can't do that. When she's up, when something's on her heart, it's there. So she would just stare at me. And this is a confession from her mouth that she would go through different objects she could throw at me and figure, and she would think which one would startle him but not hurt him. <laughs> anyway, but Katie is, you're the most amazing wife ever. And now you are just the best communicator. God bless you. So fight at an appropriate time. Come on. Uh, next one, practice active listening. And active listening is a like communication conflict resolution 101 tool. And if you've ever been to premarital counseling, have run premarital counseling, you will use active listening as a tool. And it goes like this. I would say, you know, Katie, blah, 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 blah. And then Katie would say, Mike, what I heard you say was, da, 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 did I hear you right? And if the answer is no, you didn't hear me right, then you start the feedback loop again. And you do that as many times as it takes until did I hear you right? Yes. Now it sounds ridiculous, it sounds formulaic, it sounds, but we did this in our marriage, literally like, and it would be like, what I heard you say was da 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 da. Did I get that right? And it, that was met with no most of the time. We had a, we did premarital counseling for a couple one time, and, um, and it was like, okay, let's practice our active listening. And the the female fiance, whatever the they're both fiancés, but the girl was like, you know, um, in my home, as I was growing up, it was my dad who always took out the trash. And just for me, it's just, it's just kind of always been a guy thing. I just would, I would love it if, if you would take out the trash. It's like, okay, go ahead. And then he was like, what I hear you say is I'm half the man your father is. I'm a big, disgusting slob. I can't do anything right. Did I hear that right? And we were like, I'm, guess, I'm, guessing that's, I'm guessing that's a no on that. And you would be so surprised at how your hurts, your habits, your hangups, your filters, your worldview, your whatever, your family of origin, you hear things at times very differently than what was said. So active listening is, an, and you know, it doesn't have to be as, again, as, as formulaic as I made it sound, but Katie and I do that all the time. It's, she'll say something to me and I'll say, okay, let me make sure I, I've got this right. And you can't just literally parrot it back verbatim. You have to demonstrate that you actually understand what is being said to you. Am I, are we on the same page? Did I get that right? And then she will say, yes. And you will find in your marriage, that a vast majority of your conflicts will just resolve themselves when you both feel heard and understood. A lot of times it just, it's like, or, do I understand you? Do you understand me? Yeah, then it's like, oh, that's the end of it? Yeah. A lot of times you just want to be heard and to be understood. Practice active listening. 
Next one, again, I, I hit on this earlier. You have to create space for these kinds of important conversations. There was a, a time in our marriage where we were, and we're always busy, but this was just particularly busy. And we, I was, you know, I was doing, you know, the, the formula. We were having a date night every week. And I'm like, all right, we're good. I'm having a date night every week. You know, great husband, husband of the year award. But every time we got together for this date night, it was just like World War III. We were fighting all the time. And I'm like, Katie, this is our one date night a week. Why are you going to bring up this stuff? Why are we going to fight it? But what I realized was that I made no space for my wife outside of that three-hour date night. And so all week, there's things that are building up that need to be discussed. There was no space to triage those things during the week. So inevitably, when we got together, that was the only time that she had to really bring up these things that were very important and needed to be worked out. And I was like so upset at her. Why, why would you do this on our one? This is our one chance we have. Da, da, da. But it was because I was not making the space during the week to have these kinds of conversations. You have to create that space. If the, if the only time you get together with your spouse is twice a month to, and the rest of the time you're just kind of ships passing in the night, roommates, business partners, then inevitably a lot of stuff is gonna come out in those meetings and they're not always gonna be fun. And so the key to having really, really fun quality time is make space for a little bit more serious quality time throughout the week. And lastly, as we close here, it is your job as a spouse to create a safe place for your husband, wife, a safe place. If you're a, I want you to just think about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on the guys and then I'm gonna pick on the girls, okay? So I'm an equal opportunity offender here, okay? So start with the guys. If your wife comes to you and she's got some irrational thought, she's, she's thinking something about it or whatever, and she's just like, you know, and I just feel like so-and-so, whatever, or I just feel like you, and you're like, you're crazy. That's not rational. Let's think about this logically. And you systematize every little, you know, da 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 What's gonna happen the next time that she's feeling that way? Do you think she's gonna feel great about bringing that to you? Your wife actually needs a place with you where she can be a little crazy so that she's not crazy with other people, okay? She needs a little space, and if all you do is, you know, analyze and throw your logic at it so that she feels silly and dumb and crazy, then what's gonna happen the next time? And then, let's take this a step further. See, Katie, in, in our marriage, Katie, she knows everything about me. She knows all of my insecurities. She knows the dark of the dark. Katie could destroy me if she wanted to. And I've given her that place. That's what vulnerability is. Vulnerability is putting yourself in a position where you could be hurt. I've given Katie that space. She could totally destroy me if she wanted to. And that's an important place to be in a, in a marriage is where there is true vulnerability. Now, if your wife, come back to the, to the fellows, if your wife can't be emotionally intimate with you, what makes you think she's going to be super excited about being physically intimate with you? 
And you will find that the level of emotional intimacy in your marriage is directly correlated to the quality of the physical intimacy in your marriage. To be vulnerable means to be emotionally naked. And what makes you think that your wife is gonna wanna express herself and be physically naked if she can't be emotionally naked? You have to create a space for her to want to be emotionally naked where you're not going to, um, to beat her down or make her feel silly. That's your job as a husband. Now, I will pick on the girls, okay? Ladies, if you want a stallion, a winner in the bedroom, a champion, but every time he talks about something at work, something with the kids and brings his insecurities, his failures to you. And all you do is, you, you know, you always do this with the kids. You never do this. You know, it's going to be the same as the last job. The last job you had, you did this. Well, yeah, what about last month with the money? What, whatever. What makes you think that he's going to be this champion in the bedroom if every other area of his life, you make him feel like a loser? It's your job as a wife to create a safe place for your husband. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the marketplace. I'm an entrepreneur and it's tough out there. And the men of this church, we, we live our lives on our front foot. We're territory takers. We're at war all the time. The, the, the life of a Christian man, a Christian woman is a life at war. Make no mistake about it. And if you have to fight that war on two fronts, one out there and one at home, you're in trouble. Your home should be a sanctuary for one another, should be a safe place. Come on. Sparks in friendship, sparks at church, sparks in marriage. I hope that didn't hurt too bad, but I'd love it if you just bow your heads as we pray and I'll close the service. God, we so thankful that you're moving, that you're speaking to hearts. And right now I wanna um, ask if there's anybody in here, you know, you're, it's really hard to have a relationship with people if you don't have a relationship with the God that made those people and the God that made you. And so never wanna, I know this is you know, very, just kind of some practical life stuff, but we never wanna end a service at Awaken Church without giving people an opportunity to connect for the first time or for the thousandth time with Jesus. And John 3.16 is tattooed on sports figures. It's written on eye black. You'll probably see it on the Super Bowl. It's everywhere. It's on coffee mugs. You probably all have it memorized by heart. And it's because it is the Christian message in a handful of words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And what you have to take note of is it doesn't say anything about you and what you do, don't do, just that you believe. It doesn't say, and whoever believes in him and leads a connect group and goes to church a bunch and says a bunch of Hail Marys and doesn't do as many bad things as they do good things and doesn't say that. It says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the beautiful thing is that it's not up to you. We get to lean on what was already done for us. And so if that's you here, I just wanna lead you through a really quick prayer as we wrap the service up. So if you know that today you need to establish that relationship with Jesus, surrender your life to him, or maybe you've 
grew up in church, been a Christian a long time, but have just fallen away, slipped away, whatever, or maybe you're just in here and you just feel far from God, I wanna pray for you. So on the count of three, I want you to just lift up your hand. No one's looking around. This is just a moment between you and God. It's a physical sign of, yes, that's me. It's you putting your hand up to the Lord. If that's you and any of those groups of people, one, two, three. Who needs to say that prayer alongside of me? Awesome, I see that hand right there. See that hand right there. Who else? See that hand right there. 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 Who else needs to make that decision today? Awesome, I see that hand right there. Thank you, young lady. Awesome, once I've seen your hand, you can go ahead and put it down. Anybody else need to make that decision today? Amazing, amazing. Well, I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer right now. And I want all of you that raised your hand to say this prayer alongside, with, uh, alongside me. But also, if you're in this building, if you're a Christian, I want you to say it loud and proud. Don't let these people pray this prayer alone. So everybody repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save my soul. Today I repent of all of my sins and I know that you forgive me. Today I declare you have a destiny for me. You have an adventure for me. Heaven is my home. God is my father. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, amen. Can we give a round of applause for those that lifted their hands? I'm so proud of you. Also amazing, amazing. Go ahead and hop to your feet as we close the service. Now listen to me. If you raised your hand, if you were sitting next to somebody that raised their hand, I want you to grab them. Don't grab them forcefully. That's a little weird, but just tap them on the shoulder and offer to walk them over here to our response lounge. And we're going to have a team that's going to pray for you. We've got a Bible we want to give you, a little book called Following Jesus. We're just so proud of you. And I want to just bless um, all of you uh, as you leave. I just want to pray a blessing over you. So if you would just lift your hands high to heaven as we close the service. God, we thank you for the gift of relationships. God, for the gift of friendships, the gift of marriage. God, the gift of church. What a gift these things are, God. We pray right now that walls that have been built, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in this church, whether it's in a connect group, whether it's in families, whether it's between fathers and sons, whether it's between friends, that walls that have been built of bitterness, um, of resentment, that those walls, and it may have been years that these walls, brick by brick, year after year, has been built, an impenetrable force. Your Holy Spirit can bring down any wall in an instant. Right now, we release you, Holy Spirit, to break down the walls of hearts. And God, we declare, we prophesy that the Eastlake campus of Awakened Church will be known for deep, meaningful friendships in Jesus' name. We prophesy new friendships to blossom. God, we prophesy connect groups that are filled with life and joy and laughter. And God, we declare that the marriages of our campus would be models of possibility for our community. God, that the divorce rate will plummet because marriages will look to marriages within this campus that they will say, wow, we could be like that. We could love one another like that. If God will do it for them, he'll do it for us. That there would be a great infusion of hope to the marriages of our community because of the way that we love our wives, the way that we love our husbands. God, we declare that every Super Bowl party happening all over South San Diego is gonna be fun, filled with laughter, filled with good times, good memories. We declare it all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, 
Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.